We are continuing our new series, and uh, that series is Triple Threat, Triple Threat, a constant assault on our relationship with God. And as we began this series last week, we talked about what not to love, what not to love. The Bible is full of all sorts of challenges and instruction about things we need to love, and everybody has an idea about what it means to be loved, Uh, but we focused last week on what we should not love, and that was love not the world. That's what we shouldn't love. Love not the world or the things in the world. Anyone that loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And that was our introductory message that really kind of set the stage for what we'll be talking about starting today through the end of the series. And that is we're going to be zeroing in on that triple threat that shows up in verse 16 of 1 John 2. 1 John 2.16 says this, For everything in the world, this is the, the why we are not to love the world. This is the response to what is said in verse 15. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's what we're going to be focusing in on today, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, that's next week, and the pride of life, that's how we'll wrap up the series. All those things, that triple threat, is not from the Father, but is from the world. It's from the world's system. It's the world's agenda. It's what marks and characterizes everything that is the essence of the world outside of Christ. And so that's why we're not to love that. We're not to be drawn toward that. Rather, we're to stand apart from it. And we're to guard against this very real triple threat that comes against our personal holiness and it comes against our walk and relationship with God. Um, so lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh. That's what we're talking about today. And before we, we go really far in unpacking what that is all about, um, I feel like we need to define lust. Uh, we hear that word and we immediately know, okay, that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. Lust is not good. Uh, we already recognize, most of us, if not all of us, that that's a sin, that there's sinfulness wrapped up in, in that word. Uh, but I want to give a really specific actually a few very specific definitions of lust, just so we are all on the same page and understanding what is meant by that word and all that comes with it and why it's so important that we avoid it and reject it. Um, so here's, here's how I define lust, and I think it will be helpful for you uh, as we go forward. Um, I want to suggest to you that lust is, first of all, carnal craving, carnal craving. It's, it's everything that appeals to our base and fallen instinct. Everything that is part of what it, what it is to be a fallen human being, our fallen sinful nature, it's carnal craving. Um, also with that, it's, it's a sinful, idolatrous desire. And idolatrous is the key word there. Uh, it's, it's full of idolatry. Sinful, idolatrous desire. And then I also um, define lust as a longing for the created more than the Creator. It's a longing for the created more than the Creator. And that's where that idolatry comes in. Blaise Pascal, a 17th century French philosopher and theologian, said this, and it's a, a quote that probably a lot of you will recognize. It's very profound. He said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man. 
which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God, the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. There's a God-shaped vacuum, a, a hole, an emptiness in the heart of every person, every human being, that only God can fill. Only God can satisfy. He's the only one that can. And that's why lust is so insidious, because it goes at that hole, it goes at that emptiness, and it tries to fill it, but it never can. It never can. It still leaves us empty. I want to also define for us today specifically lust of the flesh, because that's the first aspect of lust, of this triple threat of lust that we're talking about today. So here's a specific way of defining lust of the flesh. Uh, I define it as the pull to find physical fulfillment from a sinful choice or action. The pull on us, the draw to find physical fulfillment from a sinful choice or action. Um, Last week we talked about uh, love for the world being more of a directional thing, uh, as what John said in verse 15 of 1 John 2. The love of the world, anyone who has love in his heart for the world does not have love of the Father. We said that that's, that's really saying anybody whose love is toward the world does not have love toward the Father. And, we, and I said it was like a magnet, that there's this, this magnet constantly drawing our heart one way or another. Well, it's the same way as lust of the flesh works. It's like there's this, this constant magnet pulling at us, appealing to our flesh, pulling us to find fulfillment and satisfaction in a sinful choice, a sinful action trying to get us that, that fulfillment that we'll never find apart from God outside of Christ. St. Augustine, who was a 4th century theologian, he was a bishop and a writer, very, very well known, he said this, bodily desire, fleshly desire, welled up within me and exuded mists which clouded over and obscured my heart so that I could not distinguish the clear light of true love from the murk of lust. That's how he described his battle with lust of the flesh. Like these clouds just billowing over his heart, obscuring the view so he couldn't distinguish what was real, good, noble, honorable love from murky, dark, sinful lust. And I think for those of you who have struggled intensely or a long time against the lust of the flesh, you know what he's talking about. You know how real and powerful and agonizing the enemy that is the lust of the flesh can be on our hearts, on our souls, on our spirit. I think he got it right. Another way of defining the lust of the flesh specifically uh, is this. It's being ruled by your body instead of ruling your body. Being ruled by your body instead of ruling your body. Um, it's kind of like what God told Cain uh, in 
recorded in Genesis 4-7, when Cain was pretty upset that his uh, sacrifice wasn't accepted, and he saw his brother Abel's getting accepted, and he grew bitter, and he developed all this animosity and hate towards his brother. And God told Cain, be careful, Cain. Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. Then he said this, but you must master it. You must rule over it. It's what what God told Cain. And the same applies for us. My friends, it doesn't matter who you are, man, woman, child. It doesn't matter what you struggle with compared to what the other person struggles with, what, what you don't struggle with compared to what they do. It doesn't matter. Sin will always be crouching at the door of your heart desiring to overtake you. It always will be in one form or the other. And particularly, lust of the flesh, as powerful as it is, it will always be crouching like a predator waiting to pounce on all that you know to be right and true and righteous and holy. It will always be doing that. But just like God counseled Cain, He counsels us and He says, but you have to master it. Don't be mastered by it. Don't be ruled by it. You instead rule over it. And we don't do that by any strength we possess naturally. We do it by the strength and the power He provides. So we need to do the same thing. We need to take the the advice that Cain did not take. He didn't heed God's counsel. And we need to. We need to not go the way of Cain. And we need to absolutely recognize that sin is crouching at the door. But we don't have to be its victim. We don't have to be. If you're in Christ, you have been freed from your helplessness against sin. You've been freed from your helplessness against lust of the flesh and all the other lusts, all the the triple threats that come your way. You're not helpless against it. You have the power of Almighty God within you. That's the promise for every believer. But resisting the lure and the lust of the flesh, resisting sin in any form, that goes completely against everything that is in our culture, doesn't it? I mean, it's completely contrary to everything that is in the world, that makes up the world system and the way of doing things. And we don't have to you know, look in the, the, the really dark corners of our world, the really obvious, blatant, evil things to figure that out. I mean, all we have to do is turn on the TV to anything at all. I mean, even, even harmless, innocent things. And, and things as simple and basic as advertising throws all this at us. I mean, just, just look at the basic product marketing that is out there. And they've figured it out. They've figured out what appeals to the lust of the flesh. I mean, everything down to, like, gum and... and like soda and deodorant. I mean, it all employs lust of the flesh, and it appeals to that. I mean, it's, it's really amazing how, how um, pervasive this is in our world. Uh, so we don't have to look very far to see that message constantly coming at us. Don't resist. Don't try to rule over the lust of the flesh. Don't try to rule over 
your, your carnal state. No, just, just go with it. Do whatever feels right. Do whatever you want. Obey your thirst in whatever form that takes. That's the message coming at us from, from our culture, from the world, which is why we need to not love the world. Uh, it goes completely against everything that is of God, and it's full of, of a triple threat against our heart. And uh, the first way that that, that uh, tries to do it is through the lust of the flesh. Lust, fellow Christian, lust is always outside of God's will. And it's always at war against our contentment with Him. Always. It's always how it works. It's always what is true. Lust is always going to be outside of God's will, and it's always going to be at war against our contentment in Him. That's true of each aspect of the triple threat that we're going to be looking at uh, throughout the remainder of the series. And here's the other thing that we need to all just completely recognize and believe and keep remembering as we go throughout our lives, as we are um, face-to-face with the triple threat of lust. Lust is a liar. Lust is a liar. And particularly the lust of the flesh, it promises to fill us up and to make us happy but it only leaves us empty and full of regret. It's what it will always do, every time. It promises to satisfy. It promises to fulfill. It promises to bring us joy and to make us happy, but it never does. It only leaves us empty and even worse than before. It leaves us miserable. It leaves us full of regret when we give in to the lust of the flesh, however we do that. That's always what it does. The lust of the flesh is never satisfied, ever. It's just this this bottomless pit. It's never satisfied, and it always leaves us wanting more. So it promises to satisfy, it promises to fill us up, but it never delivers, and it actually results in the exact opposite. Emptiness, misery, regret, feeling horrible at our failure, feeling like we'll never, ever get it right. And again, I would say that just about all of us can identify with that and has experienced that. This is what Solomon was talking about uh, in Ecclesiastes when when he said, you know what, I'm going to pursue a hedonistic way of living. And so he, he tells us in Ecclesiastes, I deprived myself of nothing, anything that my hand wanted, anything that, that my body craved or desired or, or had urged for, I, I did it. I gave, it, gave that to it. I didn't deny myself or withhold from myself any pleasure. I just pursued it all. Whatever my eye saw and wanted, I did it. Whatever I felt, I did it. But he said, but to the end of that, I realized all of that was vanity, a chasing after the wind, emptiness. It didn't leave me satisfied. It didn't fill me up. It left me completely empty. There was no point to it whatsoever. 
It was a chasing after the wind. Lust is a liar. And it will always leave us empty. Always. Lust of the flesh. What does it look like? Well, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5 uh, gives us an example. And it's, uh, it's the most obvious and the most common example of lust, uh, particularly lust of the flesh. It's, it's really kind of what we go to automatically when we think about that phrase, that term, that concept, lust of the flesh. And, and so 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5 tells us a very specific area or category of lust of the flesh that we are to avoid and abstain from. Verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians 4, the Apostle Paul says this, For this is the will of God. And, and we all want to know what the will of God is for our lives, right? Uh, every believer wants to know that and wants to be sure that we're walking in the will of God. Well, here's one example of that. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, being set apart, your holiness. And here's a very direct avenue for holiness. Here is exactly what we need to do to maintain holiness and sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles, and that's another way of saying the world, the unbelievers, the lost, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. So this is one very, very common, familiar aspect of the lust of the flesh. It's, it's the lust of the flesh as it relates to sexuality. And I think that probably most of us are going to go right to that, that area, that particular part of lust of the flesh. It's the most common. It's what we think of. It's what we probably hear about most. Whenever there's a warning against lust and against lust of the flesh, we automatically go that way. And that's, that's fine. I mean, this is obviously a very pervasive part of lust of the flesh. And it's something that many, many, many people, saved and unsaved alike, struggle with. This particular category. And so we should absolutely be on guard against this and all the forms that it takes. We should absolutely abstain from sexual immorality as people who are called to be sanctified. For sure, that should be way, way, way up there in our list of priorities. And this sexual immorality, by the way, is, is kind of an umbrella. There's a lot of things under that. It's not just the you know, sexual act itself the complete fulfillment of that. There's all sorts of other ways we can be immoral in our sexuality and sin in that way short of carrying it through to completion. So it it covers a lot. But here's what I want you to make sure you understand. While this is, again, a very pervasive and powerful part of lust of the flesh, by no means is it limited to that. And, and that's the danger. This is what's so insidious about lust of the flesh. This is part of how it lies to us. The enemy wants us to believe that lust of the flesh is limited to sexual sin or sexual lust. 
And that's part of it, and it's a big part of it. But that's not the whole of it. It's not the whole of it. Lust of the flesh can take on many different forms. And it can, can come through different avenues. And there's different aspects and areas of the lust of the flesh that will be a struggle for us that go beyond that of a, of a sexual struggle. Here's what 1 Corinthians 6.12 says. And here's what I mean by that. The Apostle Paul, still writing, he says this, All things are lawful for me. There's that Christian liberty that uh, we often love to hold up. We, we pull that Christian liberty card whenever we get a chance, right? I have liberty in Christ. I have liberty through Christ. So I can do this or this or this or, and, and be fine because I've got Christian liberty. Here's what he says about that. Yes, you have liberty in Christ, but all, th- all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful or beneficial or profitable. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but, and this is so key, I will not be dominated by anything. See, this extends to all examples of the lust of the flesh, not just the sexual part of it. It's not a one-size-fits-all thing. Christian over here might absolutely struggle with the sexual part of lust of the flesh. But the Christian over here, that may not be their struggle. But you know what might? Alcohol, tobacco, smoking of some sort. Um, That might be an addiction. Uh, It might be um, something we never like to talk about or address in church or in churches, particularly for some reason Baptist churches, and that's food. Yeah, that's something we never talk about, right? We're so quick to point out um, the, the problem with sexual sin, and we're so quick to point out the problem with, with other forms of addiction, drugs and alcohol and, and everything else like that, and, and that's, yeah, those aren't good things by any means, but we, we tend to conveniently pass over that little nagging problem of overeating, that word that we just don't like to ever hear or think about, gluttony, gluttony. And you better believe gluttony is just as much a sin as anything else. And it's just as much a part, or can be just as much a part, of lust of the flesh as anything else. You know, I mean, it, it, we, we hear Paul's challenge uh, that he did for himself, and he encourages us that, you know, that he, he buffets his body daily, and we, we see that word and we think, oh good, I get to go buffet my body. And that's, that tends to be the way we look at it. Like, food is, is completely fine. You know, let's just be Garfield and just spoon it all in as much as we can. My point is this. There's a lot more to lust of the flesh and the sinfulness of that than just the sexual part. And we need to understand that. It, we need to do exactly what Paul says here. I, I'm not going to allow myself to be dominated, controlled, mastered, ruled by anything. 
I'm not going to allow myself to, to be addicted to anything of the flesh. Food is great. Too much food, overindulgence in food, um, you know, uh, addiction to eating, not good. Not good. Need to avoid that. Um, and you fill in the blank. There's so much that can be part of this. It, it's, it's very far-reaching. I will not be dominated by anything, the Apostle Paul says, and we need to have that mindset as well. Now, all that being said, um, whatever your, your personal temptation might be, whatever you are tempted to be ruled by, and again, you put two Christians up here and, and they're going to have different different things that they, are, they struggle against, different temptations that come their way, different things that they are prone to be dominated by. So we're, we're all going to have different parts of weakness as it relates to the flesh and the lust of the flesh. The, what, what is true, though, of all of us is at various times and to varying degrees, we're all going to know what it is to be tempted in those areas. Uh, and and that's part of what it means to be human. And until we are taken to glory, until our Savior returns for us, or until we leave this flesh and this earth through death or, or through Him coming, we're going to struggle. We're going to constantly be at war against the lust of the flesh and all the other lusts. And, and we're going to constantly face temptation. I wish it weren't so, but it is. That's just what it is, is to be human, even a saved human. But I want to give you, I want to provide you and turn your attention to a very powerful, beautiful fact and a promise as it relates to this. We've, we've now defined and identified what lust of the flesh is and what it looks like, and you know what it is to be tempted in that way. So do I. But here's a fact and a promise as it relates to this awful temptation that we deal with day in, day out, in this pilgrimage that we're on called the human life, human, human life and human experience. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 through 14. Fact and a promise. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Here's the fact. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And, and what that means is no one gets an out based on a unique challenge. Nobody can say, oh, well, nobody else has experienced this before. I, I am uniquely challenged here. Nobody else can say, yeah, I've gone through that. I've walked through that. This is harder for me than it's been for anybody else. So I have an excuse for giving in. Nobody gets to say that. Nobody can say, wow, this is harder than anybody else has ever had to, to experience this temptation. No one else has ever, ever had to go through this or be faced with what I am, so it must be okay for me. Nope. Mm -mm. This says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, that, that's not common to all mankind. And that's humanity in general, by the way. This is not just something that's uh, specific to males. This is People, people in general. And here's, here's the beautiful promise. That's the fact. Here's the promise. God 
is faithful. We already sang about that this morning. How faithful He is that never once will He ever make us or or let us walk alone, right? God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Which He knows, by the way. He knows your ability. He knows what you're able to withstand and what you're not. He knows better than you do. We need to keep that in mind. Beyond what you're able as defined by Him, as known by Him. But He is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And it gets better. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We're going to be faced with temptation, Christian. We're going to deal with it. It's it's a reality. It's an aspect of life that will be with us until we leave this life. But in the midst of that, no matter how intense your temptation might be, you have a God who is faithful. And He knows your ability. And He will, with every temptation that comes your way, that He does allow, He doesn't cause, James tells us that in James chapter 4, don't let anybody say when he's tempted, oh, God is tempting me because God tempts no one. That's not what this is saying and it's not what I'm saying. But what is true is that whatever temptation that comes your way that He in His perfect sovereignty allows, He will be faithful to you in the midst of it. And He won't let you just be at its mercy. He will always provide you a way of escape out of that temptation if you will choose it. It's always going to be there. Verse 14, in light of that, therefore, therefore is always a word that that tells us because of what was just said. Verse 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry, which all lust is. That's the lust of the flesh. It's idolatry. All lust is. In fact, all sin really is idolatry. At its basic, if we strip it all down to its basic form, sin is always idolatry. So flee idolatry is what's being said here. The Apostle Paul says, because you have a faithful God, because you have a God who will always provide you a way of escape from even the most intense temptation, take that, seize that, and flee from idolatry. And here's, I want to provide you with that way of escape. Here's what that way of escape is. The way of escape that God always provides. And, and as we look at this, I want you to notice the progression. There's a very real progression. One to the next to the next, okay? This is all part of this way of escape that God has so graciously, faithfully provided. Romans thirteen fourteen. Here's the first way. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's active, not passive. That's intentional. There's, there's a, a, an absolute deliberate choice there. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision. Once again, there's this active, not passive. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That means put on His holiness. Put on His life. Put on His power and put on His victory, which He's given you, Christian. You know, the the Bible says that Jesus, our great high priest, 
was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. He knows what it is to be tempted. The most severe and intense temptation possible. He knows what it is. He walked through it. He faced it. But he, in his humanity, did not give in. And that victory, he extends to you. He gives it to you and to me. So put on, actively choose to be saturated by, actively choose to be yielded to and dependent on the life of Christ in you and all that He is. And make no provision. Don't open the door for your flesh to gratify its desires. So that's, that's the first way. It's the Savior. The Savior. That's the first way of escape. The living Lord Jesus in you, believer. And next... Like I said, notice the progression. Galatians 5.16 But I say, walk by the Spirit. Be led by, be empowered by, be in dependence on the Spirit. Walk in step with the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We need to start believing, Christian, that we actually literally have the Spirit of God in us. We might say that we believe that. We might recognize that as fact. But how often do we live as if that's not true? How many times do we forget the, the, the third person of the Trinity in our lives? You know, we acknowledge God the Father. We pray to, to God the Father. We acknowledge God the Son. But how many times... Do we neglect and forget and look over the Holy Spirit who is very God dwelling and living in us? All the power of the Godhead, the one who raised Jesus to life, also stands ready to infuse you with all of his life giving power. We just have to yield to it, we have to accept it. The power that He's willing to give us. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So that's the the second way. It's the Spirit. First way of escape, it's the living Lord Jesus. The second way of escape, it's the Spirit of God who gives us the life of Christ in us. And then thirdly, Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, not the lie of the lusts that we've, we've identified already this morning, lust is a liar, right? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and that's specifically talking about moral excellence, all of which is the complete contradiction to all that is of the flesh and all that is of lust. Complete Complete contradiction. So all of those things, that that great, wonderful list, think about these things, the Apostle Paul says. All of those things, what's true and honorable and and pure and lovely and commendable and and, and all of that, anything that's worthy of praise, think on those things. And, And that word think, what he really means there is He's saying, I want you to dwell on those things. Be saturated in your mind by those things, not the things 
of the lust of the flesh, not the things of, of the world. No, dwell on these things. Be fixated on those things. So this, this third way of escape, it's the mind. It's the mind. It's what we think about. It's what we allow ourselves to be occupied with. What's your focus on? See, that's, and there's, there's more avenues of escape that God provides us, but, but these are the big ones. These are the constant avenues or ways of escape out of every single temptation, out of all that, that the lust of the flesh tries to, to throw at us, all that the enemy tries to throw at, throw at us. There's always going to be these ways of escape for every Christian, every single believer, no matter how long you've been saved. If you came to Christ yesterday, you've got the full measure of, of this escape route available to you. The Savior, the Spirit, and your mind. And in light of all that, because of all that, here's, here's what we need to do, what we, we can do and what we must do in response. 1 Corinthians 10.31 It all comes down to this. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. That's the antidote, believer, to the lust of the flesh. To all lust. That's the That's the ammunition against all sin. That whatever I do, whatever activity I'm involved in, whatever I think, whatever I choose, whatever action I commit, that I do it all for the glory of God. That covers it all. Covers it all. Leaves nothing out. This is what we're called to. This is what we can choose to do. This is how we can choose to live. And in light of all that God has done for us, in light of all that He's given us, this is what absolutely makes sense as the only logical, logical conclusion how we, should, how we should live, how we should operate. And we need the power of the Spirit to do it, and thank God we have the power of the Spirit to do it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for warning us against the lust of the flesh. Thank You for identifying for us, not just in what was covered today, but throughout Your your Word. You identify for us um, characteristics and markers and signs of the lust of the flesh. You've given us warning after warning. We We can spot it, and I thank You for that. I thank You also, Father, for the fact and the promise that we've been able to look at today. The fact that we are not alone. That no matter what we face, there's no temptation, there's no aspect of the lust of the flesh that comes our way, whatever it may be that we personally struggle with as it relates to the lust of the flesh, there's nothing that comes our way that that somewhere, someone has not also experienced and gone through. No temptation is going to come at us and overtake us that is not common to all men. Thank you for that fact. But more than that, thank you for the promise that we have read. That you are faithful. And that you will not 
allow us to be tempted beyond our ability to fight against it, to withstand under it. And with every temptation that comes our way, no matter what it is, no matter how different it looks when we compare it to our other brothers or sisters, no matter what temptation comes, you will always provide a way of escape. Thank you. Thank you for your Son. Not just giving Him to us to go to the cross, but but giving Him to us to apply His holiness and His righteousness and His victory to us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit indwelling us, applying His power if we will yield to His power. And thank you for giving us the ability to have a renewed mind. And help us to think about those wonderful things in that list that the Apostle Paul wrote. To to choose to be focused on those things, not the things of the flesh. Thank you, Father, for giving us literally everything we need to live a godly life. Help us to do it. Help us to walk by your Spirit all in the name of your Son and for His name's sake. And it's in His name I pray. Amen.